Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. We've been doing this series on the book of Acts, uh, starting at the beginning of the summer, and we've covered a lot of ground. In this series, we've seen really the church born, right? The the church begin, the church comes alive, the outpouring of of God's spirit, and we see people getting saved, and the church is multiplying and growing. This past week, one of my daughters who goes to the academy here, I was asking her questions after school one day, just you know the way that you do. Hey, how was school today? Uh, what did you learn? And so she started sharing with me some of the stuff that she learned, and she started rattling off uh, different ways, I guess she learned in science or biology or something, uh, how to know if something is alive or not. And I think there were six ways that she started listing. And she started listing if something, if something moves, if something grows, if something multiplies or reproduces, then you can tell that that thing is alive. And she's talking about, you know, organisms or whatever. I'm, I'm thinking about our spiritual walk. And I'm thinking about the way you can tell if a church is alive, that you can apply that to yourself personally. Am I, am I moving? Am I growing? Am I multiplying? Am I reproducing as a church that we can examine ourselves? Is our church alive? Those can be red flags. If we don't see those things happening, it's a red flag of whether we are really alive or not or just going through the motions. There needs to be movement. There needs to be growth. There needs to be multiplication. So we can challenge ourselves with that. And in the early church, you can see the church came alive. There was movement. There was growth. There was multiplication. And it didn't matter the environment. The church was dominating everywhere they went. Even when persecution broke out, the harder they tried to stop the gospel, the faster it spread. And the more that the kingdom of God multiplied, the church was was dominant. You know, that's the way that God wants us as believers. He wants us to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Having the upper hand in every situation, we're called to live a life of victory and dominance. And again, we talked about that, that before in this series last week. It's not an arrogance. It's an identifying with Jesus and walking in obedience to him. He wants you, he wants you, despite the enemy's efforts, to continue to rise higher and higher and higher. Last week in chapter 9, we saw one of the greatest enemies of the gospel, Saul, who's persecuting the church. He's threatening believers. If he finds out that you follow Jesus, he wants to put you in jail, maybe kill you, torturing people, doing terrible things. We saw him go from killing followers of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus, to becoming one who is preaching Jesus is, in fact, he is indeed the Christ. Just this amazing, amazing transformation, a complete transformation. God is able to save to the uttermost. No no matter how far someone seems, he is an enemy of the gospel. He becomes a promoter of the gospel quickly, a complete and drastic transformation. Whatever is going on in your heart or maybe in the life of a loved one that you think this obstacle, this challenge is insurmountable, the power of God can completely, I mean completely transform that situation. Maybe it's in your spiritual walk, someone you no spiritual walk. Maybe it's in a situation. Maybe it's in your marriage. This should give us hope and faith to believe. There is no challenge too difficult for God. God can reverse things quickly. He can reverse things completely. He makes all things new again. So again, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, man, I've got this challenge in my life. I've just kind of resigned myself. I will always fail in this area. Not so fast. God is able to complete where you used to be a failure to make you a shining success in that same 
same area. That person that seems too far gone, man, that my uncle, my cousin, my husband, my son, they just seem so close to the gospel. God can change their heart so quickly and so completely. And then we talked about being people of the way. It describes the church. It's the first time we see it in Acts chapter nine. People who are of the way. We talked about how significant that was, how throughout the Old Testament, there was no way. And Jesus came to make a way, to be the way, allow us to be people of the way, that we represent. Now, there is a way to know God. There's a way to have the life of God operating in you, that we are people of the way. Amen? So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10 this morning. Before we do that, would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would bless each one of us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, hearts that are tender and receptive. Father, give us a spirit of revelation and understanding so we can know you more. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. Flood our hearts with light. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you were on the outside looking in to a group of people that you felt excluded and there was nothing you could do to break through. You couldn't qualify. You couldn't figure out what hoops to jump through to get accepted. It could be all kinds of different groups. When I was growing up, our family moved all the time. So I was always the new kid. Every year at school, I was at a new school until my junior year of high school. It was the first year that I wasn't at a brand new school. So that was just like a way of life every year, showing up at a new school where everyone's already got their friends. They have their kids that they sit with at lunchtime. There's the inside jokes that you're not a part of. On sports teams, they've been playing together all their lives and just always seem like the on the outside, trying to work your way into a group of people and usually failing, not, not able to connect, not able to break into that click. I don't know if you can identify with maybe being new in a work environment or if you've ever tried tried out for a sports team and didn't make the cut, or you tried out for, to get on the, in the play, or whatever it is, an environment where you know I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. If you can identify with that, then maybe you can feel some of the frustration, or you're aware of, of the humiliation, or the isolation that, that you feel. And way more significant than being part of a sports team, or the inside group at work, or a club, or anything like that, all of us apart from Jesus, are on the outside looking in to a covenant relationship with God. And as we begin to look at Acts chapter 10, this is a hugely significant chapter because it tells us of how the gospel goes to the Gentiles really for the first time where Gentiles, non-Jewish people, could be accepted into relationship, into covenant relationship with God. Because up until this point, from, from about Genesis chapter 12, from Abraham clear through till Jesus, God dealt primarily with his chosen people, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people. Almost completely exclusively, he dealt with those people. So if you weren't Jewish, if you weren't in that covenant, then you were on the outside looking in to the covenant of God, to the promises of God. That's how we Gentiles, that's the situation we were in up until Jesus came and accomplished what he did for us. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter two, which talks about that very thing. It says in verse 11, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers. We'll keep reading. He's talking about we were on the outside. We didn't belong, right? An alien is someone, if an alien walked in here right now, you would instantly go like, okay, they don't fit in. They don't belong here. Someone please get that alien out of here. If a stranger came in, if we found out there was some, some random man walking around in the, in the kids' wing during children's service, we wouldn't welcome them in and have him, you know, come sit down in the nursery or the toddler room because he's a stranger. We don't know anything about this guy. We'd have security come and escort him out, right? Because he's a stranger. We don't know. He doesn't belong. And it's saying that that was the situation you and I were in, not, not when it comes to being part of a kid's church. It's talking about a covenant relationship with God. It's talking about the promises of God, that we were strangers. We didn't belong there. You and I didn't have a place. We were aliens. We, you could read about the promises of God. How beautiful, how sweet, how amazing. Psalm 103, that's Old Testament. The benefits of knowing God. He forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. All of those things, we were on the outside looking at. We were strangers. You don't belong in that kind of relationship with God. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our situation, without hope, without God, no covenant, no promises. Next verse, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That we who were once far off, we didn't belong there. God has brought us close. And that's the desire of the Father's heart. That people who are far away, you know what he wants? He wants them brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's why there is the blood of Jesus shed for us. So people who are far away, otherwise they have no place, he wants them in. And as we look at chapter 10, that's the overarching theme and the repetitive message as we work our way through this chapter. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too far away. God wants wants them in. That's his desire for everyone. God wants you in his family. He wants you in the kingdom of God. Amen. And that was the promise all through the Old Testament, looking forward to the time when people wouldn't be excluded, where there would be a way for Gentiles to come close to God. Genesis chapter 12, when God, God makes a promise to Abraham, he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. All the nations of the earth will be, will be blessed through your seed. He's looking forward to the time of Jesus, that all nations, not just the Jewish people, could be blessed. Let me read to you a couple of prophecies. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19. It says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, surely our fathers, surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? It's, it's prophesying of a time when Gentiles will come to God and have a realization, man, every, everything that we've been doing, it's meaningless. It's worthless. Making gods for ourselves, living for ourselves, they'll have a desire to know God. The Gentiles will be able to come. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. We could look at a lot of others. I, I just want to make a clear case that this was in the heart of God for a long, long, long time. He wanted people who were far away to come close. He kept pointing to it. Man, there's coming a day when the Gentiles can come and know me. It won't be just the Jewish people. 
I'm going to make a way where I can bring people that aren't a part of this family into my family. I'm going to adopt them in. That was God's heart all along. And in chapter 10, it's finally happening. God's had his heart and his mind set on you for a long, long time. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple to dedicate him, and they encounter this guy named Simeon. You remember this story? This old guy comes and he, he spots Jesus and he recognizes I mean, that that's the Messiah. That's the one. And he begins to prophesy over. And part of that prophecy was that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles, a light that brings revelation to the Gentiles. That's prophesied about Jesus in the first week or so of his life. God was looking to bring the Gentiles, the Gentiles into relationship. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1 says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So it starts telling us the story of this guy named Cornelius. It says that he was part of the Italian regiment, so he's a good Italian. Amen. I figured there'd be more Italians. I thought I'd earn some favor with Italian people pointing that out. God's, God's choosing an Italian man. He's, he's finding, he found favor for a number of reasons. Starts to list his qualifications. He's an Italian, Italian officer, a devout man, one who feared the God. Made his own pasta. <laughs> Had a great marinara recipe. God likes this guy. And bread. Yeah. Okay, that's not, okay. This isn't going to turn into a free-for-all here. <laughs> Someone needs to ease off the carbs over here. So the angel appears to this guy. <laughs> angel appears to him and tells him that his prayers and his alms have come up as a memorial before the Lord. There's something that he's been doing that's caused him to catch the eye of God. He's a man of prayer, but that's not the only thing that it says. It's his prayer and what else? His giving. His giving, his alms, the way that he's giving financially, supporting ministry, supporting people, has come up as a memorial before, before the Lord. It is a shame that giving and anything dealing with finances has become such a sensitive subject in the church and something the enemy has used to cause people to be offended, to have certain mindsets, to have a certain condition of heart that it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about or it's a turn off to people or people excuse themselves from engaging in it because it's something that God delights in. It's something that God enjoys. It is a blessing to God when we give of our finances. And you can see that he's pleased here. Well, it wasn't something God was holding against him. He says, you're, you, you're a man of prayer. 
you're a man that, that gives financially. And that, that was pleasing to the Lord. Our financial giving is a way that we can express our love for the Lord. So, so don't allow abuses, and there have been abuses. Don't allow those things to poison your heart and poison your attitude when it comes to giving financially in the kingdom of God. It brings a smile to God's face. You can tell he's pleased here. It's a blessing to him. It's a way that we worship the Lord when we give financially. It also opens up avenues of blessing in our own lives, right? That's not the primary reason that we give, but it's something throughout scripture that when we honor God in that area, there is a response from him. The Bible says, give and what? And it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We don't wanna shy away from those truths from the word of God. It's consistent. When we give to bless God, our hearts are pure. God, I just wanna express my love for you. You're not gonna outgive God. Malachi chapter three, test me in this. See if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out more than you, you have room to contain. And here we see, who do you think ended off better in this? Whatever amount of money he gave when it comes to alms, who ends up better off in this exchange? That he gave financially and God opens up a way for him to know eternal life and, and sends an angel, he connects him with Peter so he can be a recipient of, of the gospel. It, it opens us up to receive blessing blessing in our lives. So this angel appears and gives him instruction to send for this guy named Peter, which is, is important for us to think about. Why didn't the angel, I mean, why, why send people from one town to another and arrange travel plans and you gotta go find this guy and bring him back here? The angel's right there. Why didn't he just tell him the gospel while he's telling him this other stuff? Because the gospel's been entrusted to men. That it's, it's our privilege and our responsibility to be the ones who communicate the good news about Jesus. So he could connect them, he could connect them with the messenger, but he couldn't be the messenger. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that God has given to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. Who did God give that to? The people who have become new creatures, new creations. It has been given to us. So why couldn't that angel give them the word of reconciliation? Because he didn't have it. It's been given to men. It's been given to you and I. So we need to be aware that there are people relying on us to minister the word of reconciliation. That means to tell people how they can be connected with Jesus, to tell them the good news. That God is relying on people, me, me and you. He's relying on us to communicate that message. We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Verse nine. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So Peter is up on the roof. He's spending some time in prayer. He's hungry. They're making lunch. They're getting it ready. And while, while they're getting 
that meal ready. He's just spending time with the Lord up on the roof. And while he's doing that, he sees this vision of a sheet being let down. It's filled with, it says, all kinds of animals. A voice speaks to him. Hey, go ahead, eat up. You're hungry. Why don't you grab yourself something to eat? But there's unclean animals. In Jewish law, there were certain animals that were off limits. They were considered unclean. And if you ate them, it would make you ceremonially unclean. And so this voice says, go ahead, grab something to eat. And he says, no way, I'm, I'm not eating that. And then he's corrected, and God tells him, what God has called clean, don't you call it unclean. What God has redeemed, don't you, don't you reject it. What God says, if God says this is desirable, don't you say it's undesirable. This, is, this happened three times. It happens over and over. So just as a general principle from this passage, one thing we can learn is we shouldn't disagree with God. Amen? Just very simple. If God says something, then we shouldn't say something that's different than what God said. Right? Is there, just kind of nod. Are you in agreement with that? Just very basic. It's not a good idea to disagree with God. But beyond not a, not a good idea, we're, we're told not to do it. Don't disagree with God. Everyone good with that? Don't disagree with God. If God says something, he's right. Don't disagree with him. Don't say something other than what God said. Now, if we're all on the same page with that, then we need to examine ourselves. That so when God says you are anointed, when God says that you're gifted, when God says that you're talented, when God says that you're valuable, God says that you are lovely, God says you're special, do you disagree with him or do you accept what he says? Because when God says something, it is a mistake to not be on the same page as God. Well, God says I'm powerful. I don't feel powerful. We don't walk by our feelings. We walk by the word of God, that we're going to let the word of God be what we stand on, not go by our feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight, the Bible says. So we don't go by, it doesn't matter if you don't feel any of those things. It doesn't mean you have license to say something different than what God says. Amen. If God says something about you, what do you need to do? You just need to agree with it and accept it that he is right. And if you think something differently, then you are wrong. And begin to live in line with God's perspective. When he says that you're called and you're special and you're anointed and you're lovely to him, that you've got, you've got to get on the same page as with God. Because all those things are true about you, but you can live a life as if they aren't true if you refuse to agree with what God has to say about you. Don't disagree with what God has to say about you. So just a general principle from this passage, we can apply that to anything. If God says something, don't disagree. But in context, ultimately, he's, <clears throat> he's talking about people. He's talking about the Gentiles. And if God says someone is desirable, don't, don't say that they're undesirable. He's preparing his heart for when he's going to send them to Cornelius in just a couple of verses here. You know, it's not our place to determine whether someone is desirable or undesirable for the kingdom of God. In God's eyes, there, there is no such thing as undesirable. You realize that? That we, we can be very, the Bible tells us, man looks like out, outward appearance, God looks at the heart, and when God looks at the heart, he doesn't see anyone who is too far away, too far gone. Everyone is desirable in the eyes of God. So we, we, it's a mistake for us to say, you know what, that person would be such a great addition to the church. I'd really like to see that guy get saved. I feel like he's Christian material. And then see other people and say, yeah, there's really no hope. That's a waste of time over there. That person's too bound in sin. That, that's not the way God sees it. Don't say someone is undesirable because first of all, it's not our church. It's God's church, amen? It's not our kingdom. It's God's kingdom. So if he says someone is desirable, they're desirable. And he says, everyone is desirable. 
Nobody falls outside the scope of the heart of God and the desire of God. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He wants everyone in. And so that's got to be our heart and our attitude. And that's, that's the message of chapter 10 as we look at it. That's the theme. Nobody is too far gone. The gospel is for everyone. Nobody falls outside that scope. God wants everyone to come into a relationship with him. The blood of Jesus is provision for all who believe. And so that's got to be our mindset. There is nobody. No, as we go through our day, go to work, drive around town, see different people, make evaluations. Every one of them, we've got to evaluate desirable to God. Man, the Father's heart is set on that person. He wants everyone in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been seen from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who'd been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them and lodged them. And the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter's thinking about this vision, trying to understand what in the world have I just seen here. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, hey, some guys are here. I sent them. I want you, I want you to go with them. So who sent those men? Read verse 19 again. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, talking about the Holy Spirit, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I, for I have sent them. So the, the Holy Spirit is the one who sent them. And the Holy Spirit is the one telling Peter that they've come and that he's supposed to go with them. So the Holy Spirit is working both ends of this situation. Very similar to what we saw in chapter, in chapter 9 last week with Ananias, Ananias and Saul. The, the Holy Spirit was working both, both situations. When, when God said to Ananias, go and pray for this guy named Saul, and he said, whoa, 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 I, I don't think this is a good idea. He said, well, listen, he's, he's already seen a guy named Ananias coming and laying hands on him, that he would receive, receive his sight. Saul had already been ministered to about that concerning what was going to happen by the Holy Spirit, and now God is dealing with Ananias' heart. He's working both ends of the situation. We see the same thing in chapter 10. When God is dealing with your heart to take a certain step, to minister to someone, to give someone something, he's not just dealing with you. You can trust that the Holy Spirit is working both ends of the situation, that it's not just up to you and don't, don't disqualify yourself or say, Lord, like, like Ananias, I don't think this is a good idea. Hey, you don't know that guy like I do. He's super hard towards things. He's been hurt before. He hates the church. He doesn't like Christianity. They're gonna think I'm dumb. I know he's gonna reject it. If he's dealing with you, he's plowing and tilling the ground on the other 
other end, it's the Holy Spirit's work. He wants to use you. It's an opportunity. And that person, God, God has primed them. He's got them ready for you to give that gift, to share that word, to offer that encouragement, to tell them about Jesus. Their heart is right. They are ready. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, he works both ends of situations. So you, you can trust that, God, you're dealing with me. Man, I, I know you've primed me for success. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you to dead ends. It's to watch you hum, humiliate yourself, embarrass yourself, and do stuff that is futile. It says that you've, you've been appointed to bear fruit and fruit that remains. John, John chapter 15, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, I, I've appointed you, I've ordained you that you would bear fruit. That means as I work with you, I'm going to be working on the other end of the situation to make sure that you're successful. So it's up for us just to trust the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing and to be honored that he's going to use us. So Peter goes down with them and says, okay, I'm going to come, but tell me why you sent for me. They tell him about Cornelius. They said they sent us, verse 22, that we could hear words from you. We're supposed to get you because we're supposed to hear what from you? We're supposed to hear words from you. The angel said there was a message that you had to hear words from you. Miracles, miracles are wonderful. We're for miracles. We believe in miracles. We've seen miracles. We're going to see more miracles. It's important to have signs and wonders. It's important for people to walk in holiness and to walk in kindness. We're for holiness. We're a holiness church. We believe in living life above reproach. That, That is important. But those things just add support to the words that we speak. They don't replace it. They validate the message. They aren't the message. So we want miracles. We want people living a life above reproach. But that stuff just adds support when we open our mouth and actually tell people about Jesus. Because living, living a good, holy, clean life of kindness and generosity and all of that stuff, without the message, pe- people can appreciate that you're a nice guy, but they'll still go to hell. They need the message. They need a testimony for you to testify and actually share the good news about Jesus. If you're the nicest guy in the neighborhood, but you never talk about Jesus, it's not going to get anyone to heaven. And, and you should, we should be nice. I'm not, I'm not arguing against those things. You understand. But on top of that, there's a time for words to come out of our mouths where we actually tell people the good news about Jesus. And you're, you being the nicest guy in the office, the kindest lady at the grocery store, whatever, that's wonderful. You need to add to it the message, words. Amen. Verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Talking about Gentiles, us. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Peter arrives. Cornelius has gathered a bunch of people. He's got friends and relatives. The place is jammed. And and Peter comes in and says, you guys know this is like a no-no. I'm not supposed to be here according to, to religious rules. But you know what? God's just recently showed. Let me tell you what I'm learning. I'm learning that that stuff doesn't matter. That I shouldn't call people on the outside when God says he wants them on the inside. So he says, so what reason have you sent for me? 
Verse 30. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. So he shares within the story what happened with the angel, how he sent people, told him the other side of the story. He says, now we're all gathered. We're just waiting. We're supposed to just hear words from you. So we're just ready. Go ahead and start talking. We're on the edge of our seats here. So verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So Peter oh, says he, he opens his mouth and he just begins to share the good news. He begins to share the simplicity of the gospel. Verse 36, he says that there's peace with God. Peace with God, how? Not, not through your heritage, not through your bloodline, not through your performance, not through your past experience. He says there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. There is a way for animosity when you are an enemy of God, whatever's between you and God, you can have peace with God. That, that means that you've been made one. You are right with God. You're his son. You're his daughter. Peace with God. How? Through, through Jesus Christ. We've got to make sure that we keep our hearts pure when it comes to where our reliance is. How do I obtain peace with God? It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's simple, but it's a recurring theme as we work our way through Acts. So it means we need to pay attention to it because there's always something trying to gain people's hearts and pull them away from the purity of the gospel to rely on self-effort, to rely on, on something. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 8, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from what? Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who, who follow them. So they were dealing with what, what you can eat, what you can't eat, clean food, unclean food. That's what they were dealing with. Before that, it was circumcision. You have to be circumcised, uncircumcised. That was the big issue. That, that was a problem for the Galatians church. Going back here, it has to do with, with heritage. It's about Jesus. 
Jesus alone, that our hope and our trust is one place, Jesus. It's what Jesus has done. Peace with God through Jesus. And Peter presents the gospel. Simple. Notice how short and concise this message is. A lot of times when people think about preaching the gospel, if I'm gonna open my mouth, you say it's gotta be words. I don't, I, I don't know the whole Bible. What am I supposed to do? Listen, I don't know the whole Bible either. Peter just shares the basics of the gospel. He says that Jesus came, was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit with power. So this guy, Jesus, he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And then they killed him. They nailed him to the cross. Then God raised him from the dead. And here's the message. Anyone who believes in him can be forgiven. Anyone who believes in him can, can be saved. Simple, short, concise, not complicated. This wasn't a long, elaborate sermon where Peter starts breaking down all kinds of different things. Jesus came, did wonderful things by the power of God. They killed him. God raised him from the dead. And now if you believe in him, just believe in him. You can be clean. You can be made new. You can be brought into the family of God. Listen to what happens while he's preaching this message. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. The Jewish people watching, they're astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So he's preaching just this, this basic, simple message. Jesus died on the cross for us. And now he's alive again. God raised him and we can have forgiveness of sins if we'll just believe in him, make him Lord of our lives. While he was still saying it, the power of God falls. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. The religious people who were there, the Jewish Christians, they, they were astonished that not only can these people accept Jesus, oh my goodness, the gospel is for everyone. Nobody's too far gone. God wants them to have the Holy Spirit. God isn't looking to accept exclude anyone. God wants everyone in his family, everyone in his kingdom, and he's going all in on them. If they're willing to believe, he's not holding anything back. Salvation, anointing, being filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants everyone to have everything that he has to give, and he's not looking to hold things against people. That's an earthly way of looking th at things. That's a religious mindset that we can fall into to qualify and disqualify people. We sang it this morning to destroy all, all that religious nonsense, to destroy it from our lives. God, your way is better. That's what we say. Your way is better. Instead of it being about me and my efforts, you know what? It's about Jesus. Jesus did it all for me. You know what? You're, you're, actually, your way is better. Let's go with your way. That's better than it relying on me. Your way is better. It's all about Jesus. Don't allow the enemy to disqualify you for any reason, whether it's for salvation. Those of us who've come to know Jesus, he's lost us on that front, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't keep trying to disqualify you from further steps with the Lord. That's his nature. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what the word devil means in the Greek. He's the accuser. He's a slander. That means he's always accusing. He's always fault finding. He's always letting you know where you don't qualify. So maybe you've made it into the kingdom of God that he's been effective at convincing you. You know what? You're a Christian, but you're just gonna be like a bottom rung believer and God doesn't, you're not really qualified to make impact, to be used, 
to be highly fruitful in the kingdom of God. Those are lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's the message of this chapter. God's not holding back on anyone. He wants everyone to be like Jesus, to receive the fullness of the spirit. He just gave us the example a couple of verses earlier about how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost in power, and then he went about doing good and healing all who were sick, all those who were oppressed of the enemy. That's what it looks like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're walking like Jesus, and nobody is excluded from that calling. God wants everyone to live that kind of life. Amen. Remember the story that Jesus told of the great banquet in heaven? There's a master having a great banquet. When it was all ready, he sent out his servants to go check with the people that had been invited. Guys, it's time. You got the invitation. I know you RSVP'd, so go ahead. and It's time. Just wanted to let you know. Stuff's coming out of the oven right now. And people started giving excuses, right? You remember the story? Uh, I got new... I got new land. I've got some new animals. I've got a new wife. They give all kinds of excuses of why they can't come. And they tell the master, man, you're not going to believe this. People, they, they're, they're too busy. They got stuff going on. So he sends them back out. He's like, all right, let's just go invite other people then. And they come back and he says, okay, how, how are things looking? He says, there's, there's still room. Just go out into the highways, the byways, go out into the hedges, invite the blind, the crippled, the lame, the deaf. It doesn't matter. He said, I want everyone in. From that story, one of the things we can learn, there is no condition that you can have in your life that would exclude you from the desire of God to be in the banquet. He wants you close. There is no condition. Well, I've dealt with this. Here's what my past looks like. Here's what I'm going through now. There's no condition that can be attached to your life that would cause God to say, oh, I didn't realize that. He wants you in. The heart of the Father is that nobody is excluded. He wants everyone in his kingdom. He wants everyone in the banquet. The enemy will try to point out flaws. That's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is I want you. I, want, I don't care about that. We'll deal with that. I'll heal you of that. I'll set you free from that. I just want you in. And our job is to respond. He wants you filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, to the goodness of God, the abundance of God, he doesn't just want you saved. He does, doesn't want you delivered. He doesn't just want you healed. There's, there's such an overflow of the power of God. That's what it means to have rivers of living water flowing out of you. Talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. Not just saved, but a harvester offering salvation to others. An ambassador for the kingdom of God. That God would plead through, this, through our lives. We plead with you on behalf of God. Be reconciled to God. That's what it means to be an ambassador. Not just saved, one who ministers salvation. Not just delivered. God wants you set free, but he wants to anoint you to be a deliverer for others. Not just to have those things lifted off of your life, but as you move through your life, you're breaking bondage off of people as you go as well. Not just the ability to be healed and receive healing, but the ability to minister healing, to be like Jesus. How God anointed Jesus the same way he anoints you. The same Holy Spirit that he gave Jesus to go about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. That's what he wants to do in your life. The story of your life is, oh man, Steve, he went about doing good and healed all who were oppressed of the enemy. Oh, Amy, she just went around. The story of her life, she went around doing good and healed all who were oppressed of the enemy. That that would be the story of all of our lives because we're called to be like Jesus. And it's a religious mindset that keeps us from accepting that, that backs away from that. But the gospel went to the Gentiles. The message of the gospel is for everyone. Do you know what the mystery of the gospel is that Paul said? Like the mystery, the most crazy thing to get your mind around. Colossians chapter one, verse 27. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. He wants to make known to Gentile. He wants to make, make us know what is the mystery of the gospel to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, Christ in you, that you carry the life of Jesus. Christ in you. 
Christ in you? You know, Jesus said the same way the Father sent him, that he was sending us. Right? John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we have been sent in the same manner that Jesus was sent by the Father, we have been sent by Jesus. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Right? If you see me, you've seen the Father. So if we've been sent by Jesus the same way he was sent by the Father, then we should be able to say, if you, if you see me, you've seen Jesus. If you see me, you, you've, seen, you've seen Jesus. We've been united with him. The mystery of the gospel is Christ, Christ in you. Colossians 3.3. One more verse we'll pray. It says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We've died to ourselves. That's why baptism is so special. It depicts that. It shows that. We identify with that. It's no longer about me. In my real life, your real life is hidden where? Your real life is hidden with Christ. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I used to love playing hide-and-go-seek, play with my daughters. I used to be, I had a special gift. I had an anointing for hide-and-go-seek. I did. I would challenge any of you to a game of hide and go seek. But as I got older, I started realizing, man, I can't hide some of the spots I used to hide. Two or three times I haven't had my wife pull me out from under a bed by my ankles. <laughs> Just kidding. You realize, man, I don't fit the places I used to fit. So then I'd take my kids and I'd start cramming them into cabinets and all kinds of stuff. One of my kids, I, I couldn't fit there, but this was like the perfect spot. I would take some of the dirty clothes out of the hamper, cram her down in the hamper, and then cover up dirty clothes. Which one, I didn't fit there anymore, but also like super gross to be covered up with, especially when they're damp, just really gross. So I was glad I didn't fit there. If you're hidden in something, the whole idea of being effectively hidden is what? They don't see you. They don't see you. What do they see? They see what you're hidden in. So if we are hidden with Christ in God, then our life, they shouldn't, they shouldn't see just, they should see God. They should see the life of Jesus being demonstrated in us and on us that when they encounter us, they've had an encounter with God. That, that's, that's the reality of this situation. And it, it's, again, a religious mindset that says, oh no, it, you think it's humility. Say, I couldn't possibly. Someone encounters me and they, they encounter God. The life of Jesus, to say to someone, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't think so. You think it's humility, but really it's pride. It's pride operating. Because to hide in that hamper, to hide in something, you know what you have to do? Well, I couldn't get in there. You have to make yourself small to be hidden. You're too big to be hidden in Christ. You're making yourself much. You think too much of your sins. You think you've played too large of a factor for the blood of Jesus to completely destroy anything that you've been able to accumulate in your mistakes. You're making much of yourself, not little of yourself. It's false humility. And it robs you from being hidden with Christ in God. The gospel's for everyone. The gospel's for everyone. Fullness of the Spirit is for everyone. Being used powerfully and mightily, being, being like Jesus is for everyone. That, that, that's the message. Nobody is out far outside the reach of God's desire to draw you close, fill you with the Spirit, call you his own, and send you out to be like Jesus to the people around you. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.